to loop them in to your ideal and your perspective. Mm. And then you got a Jim Jones situation going on real the quick. The rapper? So, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yo, 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 ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the New School Fools podcast, episode three. three. I was having a conversation with a friend this past week about how basically how profits come into being um that wasn't the subject matter subject matter was actually dave Chappelle. but then it turned into a you know i wonder if 100 years from now 200 years from now there will be a religion formed around the ideals of dave Chappelle because of uh a lot of the political commentary and social commentary he provides in his stand-up and my friend was like yo you know i could see it happening but i think george carlin might be the first one to be worshipped and then like Dave would follow there might be two different sects that form okay in the uh, re- the religious prophetic comedian sphere interesting so i think that it's going to be difficult for anything to form around one person in this day and age and that's just because there's so many like people's viewpoints and certainly like certain stand up comedians and you know, celebrities in general, their voices stand out more than others. So I, I think of like, uh, you know, Dave Chappelle, you said George Carlin and other forms of entertainment like a Jay-Z or a Kanye West. Um, but I just think like we as a society are moving so quickly past like famous people. Like think about maybe like 15 years ago, Brad Pitt was probably one of the most famous people in the world. But now, like, people still know who he is, but it's just, like, some dude that people know for being famous. So, if there is, like, a religion formed against, formed, um, you know, around, a religion formed around, like, uh, stand-up comedians, I feel like it would be stand-up comedy as a whole. Or maybe, like, the ideas of a group of stand-up comedians, rather than maybe one person. You know, I... Thinking about it from that perspective, I actually agree with you. Reason being, I'm imagining comedy being your holy Bible or being your Quran. And then each comedian who's had some form of an impact, uh-huh. right? With some of the quotes they've mentioned, they are basically the John Lukes and whomever else is, um, the disciples who are sharing these these testimonies, essentially. So you're reading these different chapters, and each different chapter um, or each different psalm is a song from mm-hmm. one of these comedians. That would actually be... That's actually a pretty dope way of looking at it. Yeah, and kind of along that analogy, I can see comedians being our modern-day philosophers. So maybe instead of, like you know, reaching biblical levels of prophets. Maybe they're Dave Chappelle would be like a Socrates and uh, George Carlin would be like a Plato. I guess it, it would be vice versa, but you know, something along those lines. I could, I could see that. And you know, one of something else I, I'm thinking of right now, um, this just kind of ran across my mind is the influences that some of the latter comedians have pulled from some of the formers, right? Um, I'm not, I'm not a giant, gigantic Richard Pryor fan. Like he's dope, but I, I, I think it's just my generation or 
maybe my age. I just missed the mark with that. Um, and I get portions of Richard Pryor through, you know, your Martin Lawrence's, through your Dave Chappelle's, through, you know, all of the brothers that come after him, mm-hmm. right? Um, but I wonder if Richard Pryor, and again, like a George Carlin, these these figureheads would serve as the, uh, I guess, Old Testament, right? Uh, they These would be the old stories in that comedic Bible. And then all of the folks to come at the prophets to come after them sample from them. And there is like kind of a, almost like a timeline that you can pick up and read through where you can see how Dave Chappelle was able to pull some of the philosophical ideas from a Carlin. Um, and then also even the more crude and real or raw comedy and ideas from Richard Pryor and fuse them together into, you know, some of the stories that he has presented to the world to again, get the folks who are listening to him to kind of think a little bit differently about the things they approach in their, in their day to day. Yeah. That's an interesting thought. And it's definitely something that I can see. Um, you, you mentioned like kind of older stand-up comedians, sometimes like the work just doesn't translate when you view it in a modern context. Um, and that's just because I think with stand-up comedy, like they're speaking to a particular point in time. And I think all art is kind of like this, like music, you know, can be like this depending on what the subject matter is. Certain songs are timeless as, you know, as far as what they're talking about. I think of like Marvin Gaye's what's going on. Like, I can't think of a time in society where that song wouldn't be relevant. And now I feel like I'm talking in circles because I guess stand-up comedians can do that as well. But the overall point I'm trying to make is a lot of times with art, um, because they're speaking directly to what's happening in society, it doesn't translate when you watch it, you know, 15 years from now. So like, you know, the Richard comedy, uh, Richard uh, prior like comedy example, like when you watch it, someone watching it now can be like, okay, I can see why that was funny in the 80s, but it's not funny now because like what we as a society find funny has changed and, you know, what he was talking about may not be as applicable today as it was in the 80s. Yeah, that's very accurate. And we're seeing it now. I mean, look at look at comedy today. There's a significant number of comedians who have already spoken out about the fact that they kind of have to tone down uh, to a significant degree uh, some of the things that they write and publish. And a lot of them are frustrated by this because comedy is supposed to be that one space where anything goes. There is no there or there are no restrictions. Everything is on the table. This rubs a lot of people the wrong way, especially today. You know, when everybody is kind of sensitive to different subject matter and um, offended by a lot of different things. But in the same breath, it's almost as if that is like that natural progression. We went from having extremely crude and extremely raw uh, dialogue in this, so you know, this alleged safe space, as some people may call it, of comedy and people are now, I don't want to say evolving because I feel like I don't like that word in certain certain contexts, but people's tastes are changing. Let's put it that way. Uh, people's tastes are changing. There might be a, this could be the, 
the reason behind it could be that a younger generation is now coming up who don't like any of these things. They don't feel comfortable with it. Same as what you were just saying. The stuff that Richard Pryor was saying back in the 70s and 80s doesn't really resonate now um, because the world has changed. Our perspectives have changed. And also we were, I mean, we weren't even alive yet, but coming up in like the 90s and the 2000s, the world looked drastically different. So there is absolutely no way we could well, one, find anything that he's saying to be funny, but two, uh, even think that the things that he's speaking about are not only relevant, but okay, you know, to say in, in this modern context. So it could very well be that this is just a, this is just a natural progression. People's tastes change and they just want to undo things. My concern though, with this is that let's say there is that, uh, that hypothetical biblical comedy book. Like let's say there's some history that gets created. I'm worried that we will reach a point potentially where people want to rewrite the history of the characters, you know, the, the individuals who wrote some of these ideas or just completely etch them out um, in their entirety as if they never existed. And why would they do that? Just because as a society, maybe people determine that we don't like what what they said we find it offensive that's what i'm thinking where it's like you know this is harmful stuff why would we even keep this around my argument would be you keep it around so that people know where we've come from and how we got to the the current point that we're at but i can kind of see where they're coming from as well it's like well you know do you want to have dangerous ideas like would you want your kids learning about how to create bombs in the living room when they're five right this this is good information to learn how you know you could use that right if you if you knew how to make tnt or something that could be helpful for you if you live in the mountains you need to blow away a boulder or something like that but is it really necessary to be teaching a kid in the city like would you want your kid to be learning how to do that thing in this particular context, in this society, in this time, probably not. It could be dangerous. They could attempt to do that thing, and then now you've got uh, now you've got a new problem on your hands. So I get why they're saying it. Some ideas can be dangerous, but but then what happens when you don't let someone learn about a particular point in history, and then that history does end up repeating itself because you know humans humans are humans, <laughs> and they have a habit of like I discovered something that they perceive as new because they never learned about it before. And then they start doing things with it, thus creating problems and the cycle repeats. So, um, so yeah, I do think that it's a matter of them wanting to, to censor or edit specifically to be kind um, or to protect, I should say, protect the next generation or the current generation from uh, harmful ideas of the past. Yeah. I, I can see that happening, but I also feel like that's probably normal. I, the history that we have, I feel like is editorialized, like certain parts of history don't get told depending on who's telling the story. Um, True. And, you know, in the biblical sense, there are a lot of books written that just weren't canonized, that weren't actually put into the actual Bible as we know it today. I know there's, you know, a, a text called the Apocrypha, which is, it contains a lot of those writings. I think there's a gospel of Judas and, you know, some other things in there. Um, and essentially, as I understand it, over time, like the body of church, scholars within the church um, looked at the books that they felt best kind of 
don't know if it's fit the narrative like they all made sense to put together based on how they wove together and because they wove together that was evidence that they should fit together um i I guess that's kind of saying the same thing but the larger point being that hap- that happens all the time and it's interesting because if that has happened with history it's like we don't know what we don't know but we feel like there's stuff that's happened that we don't know um yeah you know and i know there are groups out there that have so-called like secret history um you know the biblical days i think the gnostic the new testament days i think the gnostics were like a group that had some sort of like secret knowledge and then today you know people feel a certain way about like the masons and other groups like that so you know that that sentiment certainly pervades and you know there are definitely people out there who believe that you know they have some conception of uh history that most of the rest of us aren't privy to um so i can definitely see that happening with stand-up comedy however it seems like if an information is really like sexy even if it's unpopular it'll still find a way to like continue to exist it just may not be amongst like the larger population Oh, yeah, absolutely. And like you said before, this might just be a human thing. This is just a thing we do. And this kind of relates back to what I mentioned last week when we were talking about Below the Heavens. It's difficult to study ourselves because of that implicit bias. We are never going to be able to escape that. If we are repeating the patterns psychologically of our ancestors it's we could study our ancestors and say oh at the time they thought this way they believed these things and these were the texts that they wrote to document these things we are doing the exact same thing as them so in anal- in that analysis it isn't that we are studying humanity because we're humans ourselves we're just studying humans at a point in time and that's also how we look at it as a species, we are studying humans at a point in time. There would have to be some greater entity to analyze us. Uh, and that greater entity, have, uh, I mean, would be or would have been monitoring us since our, you know, basically our creation. And as we move along to determine set patterns. Now, that's getting a little bit further away from the subject. So I won't go too deep into that. But um, I think it's what makes this kind of stuff very difficult. We can say that we have these predictable patterns comedy could potentially become the next religion in a sense right um or aspects of it and we we could argue that that is the case now not just with religion but with you mentioned it before music um entertainment in a general sense but also uh i guess celebrity culture is another religion in and of itself right like the wanting to be like you know insert random idol and we call them idols too so that should <laughs> should be indicative of the uh the worship associated um and the religious practices associated with uh celebrity and entertainment culture but this is a very human thing from our perspective based on the historical context we just didn't call them celebrities before 
call them oracles and prophets and, you know, insert anything else here. If you hear any thumping right now, I don't know if you heard any of that. Yeah. My niece yeah. is like booming and, and zooming upstairs, <laughs> just running, <laughs> running around. So, uh, yeah, no worries. I think she missed the memo. No worries. <laughs> but I'll go back on the point. Um, this this is like one of those weird. This is one of those weird self analysis kind of subjects that I don't think we're ever gonna get a true answer to unless we get time machines. You know, um, hopefully, I think now we got now that we have to the the technology to do so, having all of this stuff recorded, um, both visually and in a audible sense. <laughs> will uh make it easy easier for us to analyze ourselves going into the future mm. should be pretty dope but it, it seems like today though speaking of the idea of like erasing history as we evolve as a society a lot of the people that we grew up revering i don't know if this is right or wrong like are going to be canceled like we think of like the founding forefathers and you know growing up we learned about them and they were revered you know they founded the country they stood up against britain but now you know you're seeing this big pushback from a lot of people saying well they were slave owners and they were terrible people um and both of those things can be true um yeah so the i guess the question we ask is does the bad that they did outweigh the good that they like ended up doing and do we have the nuance to be able to say like yeah they were not a great person in regards to this this and this but they you know were influential with doing this this and this and we can accept like the good that they did and praise them for the good that they did while still kind of chastising the bad that they did even if within the context of that society maybe it wasn't viewed morally as like bad so if society as a whole at that point was morally corrupt how much blame do you apportion to one individual for you know going along with that should we just be giving more praise to the people who speaking of prophets had the foresight to be like you know what this isn't right like i know everyone around me is cool with this i know everyone around me has slaves but no that's horrible like people shouldn't be treated like that you know whether those people should be we should see those people and revere them more for what they were able to see when nobody else was seeing i saw i read i read an article recently about something similar to that i think it was um it was probably on thursday uh I believe a show has come out from a black director and set of writers uh, that kind of relates to H.P. Lovecraft. I, I, I don't want to butcher like this whole thing because I may have misinterpreted what was being said in the article. Who's but that? The, Who's H.P. Huh? Lovecraft? Uh, he's an author back in like the, what, like early 1900s. Um, he wrote like a lot of horror fiction. He wrote like uh, the, you know, the, like the Cthulhu mythos, like all that, the like that weird like octopus kind of monster thing. Okay. Anyway, he's <laughs> long story short, American like horror fiction writer. Um, 
But a lot of his work has inspired a ton of other things. A good example is a game called uh, Bloodborne. I'm a big fan of that. Japanese game, but inspired by the dude's uh, depiction um, of that point in time. Uh, anyway, the guy wrote great works of art. I mean, his, his literature is pretty dope. Again, it's inspired stuff for generations, you know, um, well past his time. But he was a known racist i mean he was like it is a it is a fact he was not shy about that he was a he was um anti-semite and also did not like black folks like under any circumstance it's a thing should that discredit all of the work that he's created you know there is a i think there's actually an award that's given um to writers of today like i think fantasy writers you know it's one of those high honor awards and i can't remember what it's called. I don't know if it's the Lovecraftian award or something like that. I'm, I'm not sure of the name off the top of my head. But there are some folks who are starting to question it now. I think um, there's a there's an African, a Nigerian uh, author. Is it Nicole Okorafor? I can't remember her full name. Um, but she writes a lot of science fiction stuff from a from an African perspective, mm-hmm. and it it concepts are pretty dope. She received this award recently, but didn't want the actual physical trophy because it's actually it's his torso. It's H.P. Lovecraft's torso. Like it's torso up to his head. And I thought it was just his torso. I was about to say that's weird. No, 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 no. no. And I don't want to say torso. It's It's like his bust up to his head. You know how those trophies look, those little statues. Yeah. So she received that, but didn't want the statue itself because she knows the history of the author. Like she understands he he might not have been a fan of her <laughs> nor her writings. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I believe that they gave her the same award. It, it's, it's still his award, but not with his, um, his likeness. I, I think they changed the shape of it. And then it called into question whether or not they should continue giving out that award, especially in its look and, in the look and feel that it, it's always had where it represents him because of his ideas. And that's a tough that's a tough one, right? Because it's almost as if you are ignoring the great works that he put out due to his personal um, ideas and tastes. Should you completely erase the guy from history or cancel him? You know, because he held those ideas at that point in time when it was pretty normal, I guess, um, <laughs> in American culture to feel those things that they felt at the mm-hmm. time, or should you completely um not want to say ignore it but should you be a little bit more okay with the fact like understand like okay it was that point in time he probably would have changed his mind if he was an author in today's day and age or let's put it in another way doesn't matter what he thought it's about the award he wrote great works of fiction horror fiction specifically the award represents your skill as a writer to match that of his skill at the time um, mm. the work, the ground that he broke with the things that he created, man, I don't know. I don't know the right answer to that. I don't know which path is the correct one to take. And I don't either. And, it, but it's difficult to kind of measure somebody in the past based on the morals of today. And it's weird. Some people get a pass and it seems like the past is kind of given to like really, really old, uh, figures. So, you know, we, mythologize the the greeks and the roman cultures um 
but as we know, like they were doing all kinds of really weird, Wild perverse stuff. stuff. Which oh, and hold on, hold on, stick a quick pin. I just want to say it's it's Nettie Okorafor. That's her name. Heard Nettie Okorafor, Nigerian author, Nigerian American author. But anyway, continue. Heard. My bad. Yeah, so we still find a way to venerate them, and like we know of all the really perverse things that they were doing, and of course we're not nobody's okaying that, but somehow we're able to have nuance and say yeah that they were wilding with that but you know they also gave us all these great literary texts and ideas so we can celebrate them in that respect that's a fact i never stopped to think about that the old greco-roman texts that we still to this day read because i mean these people were totally fine going into coliseums and having innocent people slaughter each other that was a normal thing and by innocent people i mean slaves <laughs> you know mm. they they would send their own you know flesh and blood into these 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 spaces and allow them to kill each other um for entertainment stuff that we abhor today but no one is saying hey the the odyssey needs to be taken off the shelves you know burn those books we don't need to be reading the iliad <laughs> get rid of that asap so yeah it it seems like people pick and choose. Oh, for sure. There's a ton. Of, there's a ton of picking and choosing going on, and I think that that's um that's kind of unfair. But that that leads back to the thing about prophetic um, comedians, right? That's what I'm kind of worried about going into the future. We're gonna hit this weird space where people are like, let's remove George Carlin's stuff because he was old or something, right? Let's you know, let's get him out of here. Uh, let's put Dave Chappelle in, but let's take out some of the comments he made about certain demographics, right? Let's, we'll put that stuff in there. You know, let's let's put Robin Williams in, but let's not talk about, you know, his demise, you know, his exit from this this realm. It, it, that kind of that kind of like picking and choosing of the narrative, and I feel like that's unfair because it, it goes back to what you mentioned about those biblical texts and the um the apocrypha there are these books that exist that maybe people have not fully translated or maybe they have and they just don't want to include these things but people pick and chose they wove together the narratives that would create that cohesive story um that people would be able to you know digest and create uh, certain ideals and a religion around right support support for particular behaviors and ideas by excluding something else that may contradict many of the things that were there um, or that are currently there. And I just, I wonder, well, not wonder. I, I know that this is a human thing because we see, we see us do this all the time, but this practice of editing and shifting and changing things for the benefit of our own personal feelings, I worry may be dangerous the opposite could also be just as dangerous where everything is included because maybe that could be used to justify some of the atrocities committed throughout history where people could say, we've been doing this for a long time. This is in our nature. Why not continue? Mm -hmm. And some editorializing is necessary. And you think so? Yeah, because say like we were to try to take a snapshot of the 90s or 90s yeah. hip-hop you can't include every 
song or album that was released by some random 90s rapper to kind of speak to what 90s rap was like you're you're gonna pick kind of the most uh influential prevalent and popular thing so you know you might throw in i don't know vanilla ice was in the 90s but like vanilla ice even if you know some people don't think it's quote unquote real hip-hop but it was popular but then you would also include like a nas and you know a jay-z and a biggie and a tupac uh, Kamala, ha- Kamala Harris's favorite rapper, but <laughs> yeah, some editorializing is kind of necessary in order to give like a picture to give people a picture of everything, a picture of what life was like or what was important at a certain period of time. Um, and you can't do that with everything you can, but it would just kind of muddy people's ability to kind of sift through it. Like there, it would just be way too much to try to make sense of. I think. Yeah, I guess that's a good point, right? Yeah, you you get the overarching um, styles, I guess, because I guess all all of those no name I don't want to say no name rappers, but all of those smaller groups or um, individual artists were probably taking that style that was popular at the time and just doing their own um, song mm-hmm. with it. So yeah, that makes sense. I'm, yeah, you take that makes that makes a lot of yeah, sense. And I'm yeah. sure there were a bunch of Plato's and Socrates in that day. Yeah, <laughs> but they're <laughs> that that's true. <laughs> but their mixtape was whack. So <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yo, you biting Plato, son? <laughs> Get this chunk off my shelf, yo. I wonder if Plato was like going around, like looking at looking at different uh, tablets that people had, and it's like, yo, you biting my shit? <laughs> Just start flipping. Flipping tables and snapping tablets in two with his chisel. <laughs> nah, so I, how I think it used to happen where was they would just stand like in a corner somewhere or like in the market. Oh yeah, the symposium was it? Like they, they'd have their symposium. Um, wasn't what is that? A circular. It's like a circular theater in a sense, but someone sits or someone stands right in the center of it, and they're usually a master orator and then everyone in that circular frame it it looks as if it were a stadium but not really it's significantly smaller so it's more like a church yeah. right but outdoors and then they would speak and everyone would hear the stories and pass that stuff on nah. but you sure they didn't write stuff down because how the hell did we get i don't think they wrote it i think people wrote people wrote it down for them like whether it was like their you know, princesses or just people who are listening that would follow them around, mm. just kind of capture their ideas into a text. But the idea of them like standing in the symposium and like basically preaching to a bunch of people and then them maybe <clears throat> going to see like someone else at that time and be like, yo, I said that shit last week. Oh, man. Philosophical beef. Did you just hear? Did you just hear Alexa? What is that? That was Alexa. Oh, that's, that was so uh, weird. I didn't even say it. Maybe I said wild. something that sounded like her name and tell me the time. I'm gonna I'm gonna run that back in post to see what you possibly said that could have activated that. But that that is exactly why those things are not in my house. Yeah. <laughs> it's always listening. I remember the old Dreamcast commercials where it's like it's thinking, like with Alexa, it's like I'm listening. Oh yeah, <laughs> I hear no, she is. Yeah. Um. Oh. But 
there was something you said earlier that kind of triggered a thought for me. So mm. I think you mentioned Dave Chappelle saying some things that are unproblem that are kind of problematic to a, a large group of people and probably in the future as a society we'll say eh, uh you know that doesn't really fit with where our morals are right now so we need to either take that out or you know include it but do so in a way where we're making clear that you know this type of rhetoric isn't okay and you know it's hateful whatever whatever i'm not saying i think it is but you know just i i can see a scenario where that happens um it's crazy though dave Chappelle was obviously very popular before his most recent stand-up specials but i feel like he almost gained a new level of popularity for not caring what society has told him that he shouldn't say and in fact it seems like he's doubled down on it and has tapped into it more and is like saying these even more you know shocking things to some people shocking truths and the thought that i have is is dave Chappelle like comedy's version of donald trump mm. is dave Chappelle making comedy great again <laughs> well he did say we should give him a chance so you know it's it's, it's possible no i i actually think you're right though and what's funny is i mentioned this to my mother-in-law recently that People actually want to see someone who will not back down. Even even the most timid person in the world who thinks that everybody needs to be, you know, we, we need to be kumbaya and peaceful and all these different fun things that we wish were, were the case, but we know are, are not. Um, and I was telling her, I'm like, the, the reason why individuals like that have a following is because it's not even about demonstrating leadership. It's the winner's mindset, the winner's attitude. The people don't like stubbornness to a degree. But when someone has firm belief in what it is that they're saying, preaching, uh, or even in some cases practicing, I think most humans, all they all respond to that. I'm not going to say every human respects it necessarily, but there's something about it that they understand. And I think the thing about it they understand is that not everyone is built like that. Not everyone is capable of standing firmly behind everything they value and everything that they believe, despite the consequences. So when they see it happen, one of two things can occur. The first thing, they can be completely repulsed by it and be agitated by it because they are on the opposite side where they're against everything that that person stands for and believes and what they say, right? But they're also not as confident as that individual in even the things that they oppose them for. So the ideas that they hold, they have some weight, but they could potentially flip-flop at any point in time. So there's agitation there. How could you be so stringent? How could you not be able to like be f more flexible in your ideas and, and bend when new things come in? You're a problem. Right. And then the second response or the second reaction that people can take is that of a follower where it's like, yo, this person is demonstrating the qualities that I have been attempting to have my entire life. Or, you know, how can someone be so focused on their belief in their philosophy and not waver in their ideas? This this person is someone that 
should be looked to for guidance or for uh, or as an example in a sense they become like a well i guess they do become a leader in a sense because now you you kind of want to i don't know become like them in their ideals you you're hoping that by adopting the ideals that they have you will also begin to have that same level of uh, i don't want to say discipline but that same level of stubbornness um uh, a righteous stubbornness uh where you will not shake or move on your particular perspective it's 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 fascinating stuff when you watch it um watch it from the outside like from the outside looking in it's pretty interesting. when you when you hold a neutral stance i think it's it's some fascinating stuff but i agree with you dave Chappelle absolutely um is the donald trump of comedy in that in that regard he doesn't give a yeah. crap yeah like, <laughs> he doesn't care yeah yeah to your point about courage i think it reminds me of the adage that courage is a virtue so even if you kind of disagree with someone i think at a everyone on some sense like admires someone who's able to be like you know what it might be dangerous for me to do this or say this but i'm gonna do it anyways so think of like people's fascinations with stuntmen or you know those magicians that do those like really dangerous tricks or even like the navy seals yeah the navy seals mm-hmm. ufc fighters yep. uh you know the list goes on uh, um yeah. and so like no matter it seems like no matter what someone believes even if it's super problematic people tune in so you know i think about like hitler and how he did all these terrible things and somehow and had all these terrible like ideas but somehow was able to get a whole country not a whole country but the majority of a country to kind of somehow somehow rationalize that yeah and on the other end you know religious figures um that were uh that were able to kind of hold firm to what they believe so you know i think of a lot of the disciples of jesus who like basically rode after he had died and you know as they believe he had risen and they the fact that they believed he had risen and they had seen him spurred on their conviction so no matter what people said no matter the persecution that they faced i think a lot of them you know got their heads cut off and were crucified upside down and they said Mm -hmm. they were fine with it because like they knew what they believed was true and Mm -hmm. the fact that they believe that i think people from the outside looking in they're like wait you're willing to get your head cut off because you believe this is true maybe there's something there um so the point that you made you know about you know our admiration with with you know courage and conviction i think you know in a sense is something that we all share and i think that this is how those religions form so this is why in you know maybe 200 300 years time you might see a religion form around comedy because as the youths of tomorrow when they're faced with adversity or placed in positions where decisions need to be made and they're experiencing doubt they might look to these characters whether it be through a futuristic youtube or a whatever new means of transferring information um, we come up with as a species 
and witness these individuals going through these uh, or or basically uh, dictating some of these ideas to the public through their stand-up shows. But also, if we have the technology to do so at that point in time, you might also be able to like kind of uh, inject into your brain all of the news information surrounding that particular figure, all the controversy around that figure instantly. So you'll learn all of the adversity they've experienced because of their ideas. But the fact that they stood their ground with a lot of these different things, it's enough to make those youths of tomorrow be like, yeah, I want to, I want to be more like that. I want to have that level of focus and trust in my own beliefs as opposed to the beliefs of the world around me. And I will use that to go forward in whatever it is I do. So the great prophet Dave Chappelle please guide me, <laughs> you know, that, that may become, um, the case at a future point in time, but we have yet to see, we will see how this, this pans out. It's going to be interesting though, man. Yeah. And I think, uh, stand-up comedians in this day and age are kind of leaders as far as, you know, thought patterns. And it would be interesting to kind of examine, um, you know, the qualities of like a, of a leader, good or bad, you know, what makes those mm -hmm. people really resonate with people and why it seems like in this day and age, stand-up comedians are who people are turning to for like analysis on what's going on. It's in some respects, like there's a group of people that value what Dave Chappelle thinks about what's going on in society more than they do what Joe Biden or Donald Trump think about what's going on in society. Yeah, that is a fact. That is a fact. There are people, I mean, and that has been the case for a long time, even outside of the realms of comedy. Think of the, I mean, I, I was even guilty of this at a very young, naive age, like being in high school and listening to the, the conscious rappers, in quotes, um, and the politically focused rappers, also in quotes, uh, discussing a lot of the bad things about the USA like just you know all the alleged bad things about the USA all of these different um negatives associated with this country and again a young naive me hung on to their every word because they sounded so completely focused and completely trusting in their own beliefs I believed it too without doing any proper research that can be dangerous just like your example with Hitler, when you have a bunch of downtrodden, young, open-minded, but downtrodden, young, open-minded, naive individuals, it is very easy, if you're a charisma, uh, charismatic person, to loop them in to your ideal and your perspective. Mm -hmm. And then you got a Jim Jones situation going on real the quick. The rapper? So, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Sign up for your dip set your dipset uh cloak and <laughs> and religious text today um it's pink no um in all seriousness though that that's exactly how that stuff happens and that's how you gain that following um all it takes is a crazy ton of confidence and like you said whether for good or evil so i sometimes wonder if the whole uh heaven and hell concept is straight up the human duality you can go either way, depending on how charismatic the individual talking to you is. 
and your perspective on what good and evil is is dependent upon the team in which you play for so maybe we're all fighting the exact same fight i I feel like that's a podcast in itself oh yeah Um, absolutely yeah Tune in next week, folks, for the <laughs> the deeper discussion into the realms of human good and evil. No. Yeah, yeah. so I, I I think we should wrap this up, but I'm yeah. thinking of like a Dave Chappelle quote that is kind of apt here. It's interesting that Dave Chappelle is kind of being venerated as, you know, this like leading political figure. When one of his most famous jokes was, Yeah, man, they would. But I'm like, for real, why why you care so much what the Dixie Chicks say? It's not like they political scientists and nothing. They just bitches that can sing good. You know what I mean? Stop worshiping celebrities so much. Just don't listen, pay attention. I remember right around September 11th, uh, Ja Rule was on MTV. That's what they said. They said, we got Ja Rule on the phone. Let's see what Ja's thoughts are on this tragedy. Who gives a fuck what Ja Rule thinks at a time like this, nigga? This is ridiculous. I don't want to dance. I'm scared to death.